name is Kirk McIntyre, one of the elders here. We're going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 3 and also from Matthew 25. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not love instead or faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on a tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now let's turn to Matthew 25. We're going to be reading verses 14 to 30, which is the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another to, to, to another one, to each to according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, and he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I, I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one that has ten talents. For to everyone who has will, more be given, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's just take a moment and we'll pray before Pastor Paul comes. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. That we're able to read it here in this country of Canada and our free 
country that we have, Father, and we just thank you, Lord, for your word that it's such a blessing to each of us each day. Lord, just help us to remember to read your word each day. And Father, I just now want to pray for Pastor Paul as he comes. Just give him just a bold spirit, Father. Help him to be your servant to speak through him to us using your word. And we just thank you for your goodness each day and every day. Amen. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, This has been a short series on money and possessions. Uh, This is actually the fourth in the series. There might be about two, maybe three more. Um, And part of it is because the Bible has so much to say about money and possessions. And part of the reason it has so much to say about money and possessions is because money is an indicator of spiritual health. How we use it or how we abuse it points to our spiritual life. We also noted a while ago that... um, Our spiritual life is revealed through how we use our material resources. One just has to think of Zacchaeus and what the new life brought into him and his view of his possessions. Uh, John the Baptist, as he spoke to different groups about how they should uh, respond um, through works in keeping with repentance. And so there's uh, stuff throughout all of Scripture that points to the fact that material possessions and spiritual realities um, impact one another. Uh, We looked at the fact that God owns everything, and you need to review that, but that's um, seminal and it's foundational to all that we're talking about when it comes to stewardship. Then we talked a little bit about, well, how do I get some of that wealth? If God owns everything, then how do I get into my possession some of God's wealth and possessions? And then last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about the right attitudes towards wealth. And there are really two kinds of people. We looked at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. There are those who want to get rich, And Timothy, or Paul, describes all the dangers that come with wanting to get rich, but also the benefits of contentment. And then he says there are those who are rich. We either fall into one of those two categories. And Paul pointed out some of the dangers of those who are rich, but also the way that they can use the wealth that God has given them, both to serve God now and in the future. It strikes me as we come to the message this morning, which is on stewardship, That stewardship is a little bit like the word providence that we studied a while ago when we were in the uh, the book of Genesis looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, The word providence was something that many of us were not familiar with. It was a word that maybe we had heard, but we didn't necessarily understand it. And as I've been working my way through this notion of stewardship, I, I think stewardship is a little bit like providence. We maybe have heard the word, but we don't know a lot about it. And so my goal today is to bring that to the forefront of our thinking, to remind us of what the Bible says about stewardship, and help us use that reality to shape the way we think about our money and our possessions. Our guiding declaration here at the church for a number of months has been, God is real, and that changes everything. And over the last number of months, we have begun to see how the reality of God does reach into every nook and cranny of our hearts, minds, and actions. And when it does, everything is bound to change. Our whole existence is impacted by that reality, whether we acknowledge it or not. In fact, our entire perspective of life is determined by how we think about God. Those beliefs that we have about God shape everything that we do in life, all the ways that we think. It includes also how we look and how we use our money and possessions. In a nutshell then, theology matters. 
how we think about God matters. R.C. Sproul wrote, No Christian can avoid theology, that is, thinking about God. Every Christian is a theologian. Perhaps not a theologian in the technical or professional sense, but a theologian nevertheless. The issue for Christians is not whether we are going to be theologians, but whether we are going to be good theologians or bad theologians. So when it comes to wealth and possessions, what kind of theologian are you? Whether you like it or not, the ideas about wealth and possessions that you contain or that you think about reveal to you in your words and deeds and attitudes what you think about God and how you think God impacts those realities. And if you listen closely, that theology will spill from your lips and it will leak from your actions every single day. Make no mistake about it. How you use and how you think about wealth and possessions, day to day and year to year, is fundamentally shaped by how you think about God, by your theology. Those thoughts of God, your understanding of God, your understanding of his word, will determine how you view your money and possessions. I asked Kurt to read Matthew chapter 24, 14 to 30, because it begins to frame for us some of the large concepts of stewardship. That is one of the great passages on stewardship that we have in the New Testament, and it gives us a number of the considerations around that, and we're going to go into larger pictures, but essentially, when we think about stewardship, it involves two relationships. There is an owner, and there is a steward or a manager. In the simplest of terms, owners have rights, stewards or managers have responsibilities. For a few weeks, we've been coming back again and again to the fact that God is ultimately the owner of everything. It's all his. It's his to determine who gets it. It's his to determine what happens with it. It's his to determine if you get five talents or two talents or one talent. Our responsibility is to take what God gives us and to use it wisely for God's purposes and for God's kingdom. And so as stewards, we care for and steward what God gives us, all of the wealth that God gives us. So theology matters when you think about it right off the start. Is what you have God's or yours? That has a huge impact on how you look at your wealth and possessions. And that's what we're looking at as we think about stewardship. And so when we think about stewardship, the, the big biblical picture around stewardship is that everything that we have has been entrusted to us by God to manage. And so as we read in that account, and you can find it in other accounts on stewardship, one day we will give an account to God on how we managed the wealth and possessions that he gave to us. Whether it's as simple as a few bikes and a... Are we, are we going right now? I know we're dealing with stewardship that relates to money and possessions, but let me just pull that back a little bit to show you that stewardship covers every area of our lives. For instance, God expects us to steward the world in which we live in. In particular, he expects you to be a good steward of the natural environment in which you happen to live. Genesis 
chapter 1, 28 to 29, God speaks to Adam and Eve, and through them, he speaks to us. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the sea, in the sea, and over the birds in the heavens, and over every living thing on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given them to you. Again, God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. And he has given a portion of that to you and I to steward. Loved ones, this world is not yours to do with as you please. Not even that little portion that you might rent or that acreage that you might have. Those are not your trees. Those are not your minerals. Those are not your animals. Those are not your lakes. We've said this again and again that the Bible clearly says over and over and over that God made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. That the world and everything in it, all its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Do you know that even the Christian is to have a different view of their pets or their animals, those that, that serve them or those that they use to work? Proverbs 12.10 says the godly care for their animals. But the wicked are always cruel. So that we are to be a good steward of the animals that God has entrusted to us. That means maybe not flushing your goldfish down the toilet when you're done with them. But we are to steward well the animals that God has put in us. So there's stewardship of the environment. Have you ever thought of stewardship of your body? By virtue of creation... God made us. And remember, we've been saying if God made things, he owns those things. And so if God made you, he owns you. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A peculiar instance is David as he's reflecting on the wonder of God. And in Psalm 139, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So God owns us by virtue of creation. If you are a Christian, he also owns you by virtue of redemption. The Bible says that God purchased you. You are not your own. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He says, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. In another place, Paul wrote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which is your stewardship. Do you have a theology of the body? Does the concept of stewardship change at all how you think about your physical body? It should. What about your sleeping habits and your eating habits? Do you care about how you treat this body which God has given you to steward? 
Do you eat healthy? Do you get the right amount of sleep? What about, do you watch your thoughts? Do you guide how you think? What about what you do with your hands and feet, where they take you? Are you a good steward with the physical body that God has given you to inhabit? Do you ever number your days? Do you sit down and think, hmm, God said he's numbered my days. I should at least think about this, that, that I have a limited number of days and God has given them to me and I ought to think this through a little bit. It really matters that we have a theology of the body because we are stewards of this body that God has given us. So stewardship encompasses the world and the environment which we live in. It means that we are careful in it. Stewardship involves the look, looking after our physical body that God made and God created and God owns. But stewardship also involves wealth and possessions. Behold, to the Lord belong the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. C.S. Lewis wrote, Every faculty you of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. So what are some of the hindrances to biblical stewardship? I only have a couple minutes to throw these out to you, but they get in the way of us thinking rightly and of stewarding the money and the possessions that God has given us. The first is materialism. Materialism says that life is all about money and possessions. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's materialism. And we find our self-worth and our pride and our security and our well-being and our status in earthly possessions. It's captured in what John says there where he says, For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. Our materialism is captured by the possessive determiner, my or mine. I can't think of a better illustration of this in the Old Testament than Nabal. And I, I don't think I've ever met anybody named Nabal. Because Nabal means fool. And Nabal was unwilling to give to David, who had protected some of his goods for months, any of those goods. And when David finally asked him for something at a time of celebration, this was Nabal's response to him. Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Now listen to how he says this. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where. And if you read the story, you'll find that after he was confronted by his wife, about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. I don't think there's any better New Testament illustration of materialism and its attitude and its language than the rich fool. The rich fool looked out on his harvest and he, and he had a bumper crop and he realized he had no place to store his bumper crop. And so this is what he thought. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus summed up materialism this way. Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So materialism makes money everything. And it is a hindrance to biblical stewardship. The other end of the spectrum is asceticism. Asceticism or ascetics say money is bad. Possessions are evil. The less you own, the more spiritual you are. I've met people like this. If materialism makes you proud of your possessions, asceticism makes you proud of your poverty. It draws attention to what you have given up for the Lord. Colossians 2.20 following says, If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if it were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all the things that perish when they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So asceticism rejects money and possessions, which God has given to us as good gifts for our benefit and our enjoyment. So materialism is a hindrance to biblical stewardship. Asceticism is a hindrance to biblical stewardship. And there's a third, debt. Debt is a hindrance to biblical stewardship. Why? Because debt in general can signal one's lack of trust in God, one's willingness to wait that God will provide what they need when they need it. Debt can betray the contentment that the Bible asks us to cultivate. Rather than resting in what God has provided or waiting for God to provide it, we go ahead and get it on our own with credit. A few weeks back, I talked about how we can come to get some of God's stuff. We're not to get it through stealing or through fraud or through dishonest measures. And I think we are also not to inquire it in general through debt or bad debt. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. 2 Kings 4.7 has this wonderful story of a, of a widow who, whose husband has died and he had creditors all over the place and she came to him and says, I don't know what to do. They're threatening to take my sons away from him. You might remember the story. She was told to go get um, every container she could think of and, and then to lock herself in a room and she had a little jar of oil and she spent however long it took pouring from that little jar which never ran out into every single container until there was no containers left that she didn't have that weren't full of oil. And she went to the prophet and she says, well, now what should I do? He says, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Proverbs 27 verse, or 22 verse 7, I think, summarizes the, 
the reality of debt. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And so a lot of debt is a hindrance to stewardship of money and possessions. So you work through those broad strokes. We realize that there are dangers on either side of stewardship. God doesn't command us to, to, to live in poverty. God does warn us about living excessively with our comfort and our pride in material possessions. But if God has granted us anything, we ought to give him thanks for what he has given us. Be willing to share it generously with others. And then we're on the right track to understanding biblical stewardship. Thirdly, and we'll get to the main point in a minute. How do I steward what I don't have? Or maybe put another way, why don't I have wealth or possessions? I don't know if you ever, ever wrestled that through on a biblical level. Why don't I have wealth and possessions? Or why don't I have more than I have? Well, there's one way. It could be a test from God. God, Moses spoke to the people of Israel. He says, and he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here Moses was reminding the people how physical hardship can teach us about spiritual realities. As I outlined the following, it is with the child of God in mind. There is a clear application to all humankind, but the application is specifically to children of God. Maybe God is testing us to point us beyond physical realities to spiritual realities. Maybe we just need to think through, do you really need more or do you want more? You might remember we were in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 to 9, and there uh, the, the Agar says in so many ways, two things I ask of you. One thing, don't make me so rich that I forget you, and don't make me so impoverished that I have to steal from you. Maybe we just need to find a balance. Maybe God's testing my faith. I think in two areas. One is anxiety about material things. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and, all the, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Maybe one of the reasons we don't have a lot of stuff or we don't have more stuff is because we're still working through this reality. I can trust God. The most important thing for me is to pursue spiritual realities. The most important thing for me is to seek his righteousness. And when I do that, he will take care of the rest. Or maybe it's God is pushing us to learn contentment. To be content with my circumstances. To be content with what I have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe it could be, we need to ask ourselves, have I violated a biblical principle? What, what do you mean? You might say to me, well, if all that we have comes to us from God, and if God knows what I need and yet I don't have what I need, then maybe I can go to the scriptures and find some help. Are you stingy? Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. 
Sometimes God just won't honor a stingy person with more stuff because it just makes them more stingy. What about hastiness? You just can't wait till you have enough to buy something. Or you fall into a pressure of the ad that says for a limited time only and so you think I gotta rush out and get this or you don't follow your own sleep on it purchase. My wife and I have that in our home over a certain amount of money. We won't spend it even if it seems like a great deal until we've slept on it. You don't seek counsel from God. Proverbs 21.5 says the plans of a diligent lead surely to abundance but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Maybe it's because you haven't cultivated patience with the Lord. Maybe it's because there's a hastiness in your life. What about stubbornness? Have you ever equated wealth and possessions or the lack of them with stubbornness? Proverbs 13, 18 says, Poverty and disgrace, disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. But whoever heeds reproof is honored. Get rich schemes. Or something is too good to be true and you talk to it about somebody and say, that is too good to be true. And you still ignore them and you go out and you pursue it anyhow. And in your own stubbornness, you walk into a bad situation and you lose money. What about selfishness? If you are a child of God, He really does care about how you handle his possessions and what you use them for. And God knows the dangers that accompany those who desire to get rich and those who love money. And sometimes he could be withholding it for our own good because our desires are all messed up. James 4.2 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Maybe it's the goodness of God that you don't have more money and possessions. What about laziness? Don't love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you'll have enough to eat. The Bible is full of this particular Proverbs that talks about the lazy person or the sluggard. If you're lazy, don't expect God to trust you with his wealth and possessions. And it's a really sad state of affairs in a culture when the lazy are rewarded. What about indulgence? For the drunkard and the glutton, writes to uh, Solomon in Proverbs, for the drunkard and the glutton will become poor, and grogginess will close them in rags. Thank God that sometimes he withholds wealth and possessions from you, because if you had them, they would destroy you. Because maybe you haven't learned self-control. What about pipe dreams? Proverbs 28, 19 says, The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. You've heard the phrase, haven't you, throwing good money after bad? It's just following this pipe dream, following this thing that has been proven to not have any worth, to not, not be of any value. No, just, just one more, just one more, just, just ten more thousand, just, and you just pursue a fantasy. God's not going to fund your fantasies. So those might be some of the reasons why God has withheld from you. So how do I use it then? Why does God give us more than we need? I want us to think that through. And I know I've thrown a lot at you. 
I just want to spend one week in stewardship, but why does, how do I use what I have then? Why does God give me more than I need? This is stewardship in sort of broad strokes then. We are all managers of God's wealth. God has entrusted us with the care, use, and responsibility over some of his wealth and possessions. We are to manage it according to God's desires, not our own. That's a fascinating thought. We are to manage our wealth and possessions according to God's desires, not our own. The first step to stewardship is to come to the place where we understand and realize and accept that God owns everything, we own nothing, we are simply stewards of what he has given us. When we come to that place, and this is where theology matters, then the question we should ask ourselves is, so what should I, or is not what should I do with this wealth and possessions to spend them on what I want, but how does God want me to use or spend his wealth or possessions? If you work for a company, you work for the owner and you manage the company's assets, you spend and you purchase and invest according to the company's guidelines, according to the owner's risk. You're not a maverick. It's not your money to do what you want with. It's yours to manage on behalf of your owner or that company. Well, in a much bigger perspective, that's what it is as it relates to God and his world and all that's in it. So the question is, do you know? Have you ever thought about how God wants his money and his possessions to be used. Does the Bible tell us how God desires his wealth and possessions to be used? Do you ever ask yourself the question, Father, how do you want me to use this $500,000? How do you want me to use this $300? How do you want me to use this excess that you've given me? I've made a list and quickly running out of time, so I'm just going to throw them at you. But I've made my own list, and you might serve yourself well by just going through the Bible on your own and looking for ways. So what does God say about how he wants his money and possessions used? The first is a negative. He doesn't want me to use his wealth and possessions for sinful pursuits or luxurious and self-indulgent living. It should go without saying that that's what the Bible says. We ought to be very, very careful that we don't use it excessively on our own. It's like the prodigal son who used his father's wealth and wanton living. So what are the, the rest are all positive. How does God want us to use his wealth and possessions? He wants us to enjoy them. It's a different thing from saying live luxuriously or self-indulgently. But remember what we looked at last week. For God who richly provides you with all things to what? To enjoy. So I think sometimes we've got to lighten up and we've got to loosen up and not be so hard on ourselves when we actually do enjoy some of the wealth and the possessions that God has given us. He's made an incredible world. 
there are some incredible things that people have made from the raw materials of God's world. As the Bible even tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 6, that not only does God give us wealth, but he gives us the ability to enjoy it. And so one of the things I think the Bible says clearly is God wants us to enjoy his wealth and possessions. Secondly, we could say God wants us to share them liberally. We're to be generous like our Heavenly Father is generous. We looked at that last week, that to the rich, you are to command them to do good and be rich in good works and be generous and willing to share. I can just drop these on you, but how do we share them liberally? Well, one is personally, with our own family. Paul says in Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty strong language. But secondly, the Bible would say very clearly, and God would say, share it with other believers. John says, if a brother comes to you in need, don't send them away empty-handed. If you've got the ability to provide for them, do it. Share liberally. Thirdly, to share liberally with the poor. A generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. The poor will never cease to be in the land. That's why in commanding you, you must willingly, willingly open your hands to the afflicted and the poor brother in your world. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And then there's worldwide needs. Be liberal with the possessions that God has given you. Not just for your family, not just for the church family, not just to the poor, but needs around the world. If you have that much excess, use them to alleviate suffering and need. Invest them. Invest them in this age. I think it's entirely appropriate to take what God has given you and to invest it and make more so that you have more to give. As one person said, God doesn't give us more to increase our standard of living. He gives us more to increase our standard of giving. And so invest what God has given you so that you can be even more liberal with what he's given And secondly, don't only invest in this present age, but invest in the age to come. We've seen that before. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Manage them. God wants us to manage them. How do we manage his money? Well, we manage it by saving it, by being responsible with some of it. There's a fine line between hoarding and saving to the point where we trust our savings rather than trust in God or we have pride in our bank account rather than thankfulness with what God has provided. He uses an illustration of the ants who prepare their food for the winter in the summertime. So there is a place for good, healthy saving. And so some of it, we are taken to save it, to provide for those times of hardship and those times of want. I think we're all supposed, we're, we're, we all could benefit from budgeting. It doesn't have to be an extreme penny-to-penny budget, although I know some who know where every single penny goes. But I think a budget is helpful because it shows you what you have. It shows you maybe what you need. It shows you where you spend your money. Are you aware of all that is given you? When you budget sometimes, you think, whoa, I didn't realize I had that much. And as you look at a budget, you can be thankful for God's provision. You can be accountable for God's provision. And a budget can enable you to better determine where your monies should go. This whole thing on stewardship has been challenging to me as I've wrestled with it afresh and anew. Trying to realize how much of my own flesh and my own personal desires have got in the way of understanding God's desires 
for how he wants me to use the wealth that he has given me. In closing, three texts that should shape our stewardship. The first is Jeremiah 9.23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. You know, in the end of the day, I don't give a rip about how much money you might have. And I'm concerned if you don't have enough to feed yourself with. But the most important thing of all is, do you know God? Do you know him? Do you understand him? Do you have a right view of God? That's the most important boast of any boast in this world. Secondly, I've heard it before, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these material things, God knows that you need them, he'll give you. What's the priority in your life? What drives you every day? What's the first thing that you think about when you get up? What's the last thing that you think about when you go to bed? What's the primary thought that's moving through your head as you go through today? Is it about money and possessions and stuff? Or is it about how do I walk with God as his son and his daughter? How do I do what pleases God? How do I seek the right way of living, the right path to walk on? Not to worry about that other stuff. God knows I need it. He'll give it to me. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then finally, Philippians 3.8, where Paul sums it up this way. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We've already said, what does it matter if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul? Oh, loved ones, make Christ your singular focus. Make Christ your primary goal, to know him, to understand him, to get more of him, to understand the reality of him living in your life. Remember, this world is such a short, temporary part of eternity. Make sure that your focus is in the right place as you walk through these days. Father, we thank you for your word today. We've really just blasted through a lot, Father, I understand. But our desire has simply been to show the bigger picture of stewardship and to try and get that word back in our vocabulary in at least a way that I think is biblical. I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to each one of our hearts individually because we're all at different places when it comes to money and possessions. I pray that the world will not determine our view, but rather our understanding of you would determine our view of our wealth and possessions. Help us, I pray. Help us to discern what is the most important thing of all, which is knowing you and your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, we need that help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.